Mighty Gang, Backcountry Barbells, Joe Shamanic, Jeremy Day. Uh, what's up, man? How you doing on a Sunday, by the way? Yeah, I'm doing really good, man. We went to, to Titus got his first communion this morning, and then we went out to breakfast, and then I came home and took a two-hour nap. Nice. Two-hour naps are excellent. <laughs> yeah, and then Dre came over and um, got him dialed in on his shooting, so he's shooting pretty good. And then Joey... For the first time ever, he's ever shot a 70-pound bow. Hmm. Um, he was shooting at 20 yards, a pattern of three inches tight for the first time he's ever shot a bow. Nice. So you're uh, you're dialing some kiddos in, man. Uh, yeah, well, not get them old, addicted. Older kiddos, I guess. Young men they are now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> 20-somethings. I wish I was 20-something. Um. <laughs> yeah, you know, I enjoy getting older, honestly, Joe, because it's just like you gain wisdom. Well, kind of, right? I, in my inside my head, I'm gonna say I gain wisdom. You talk to my wife, she says I'm still the same dipshit. But <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> yours too, ours too, everyone's too. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it just seems you get further advanced in your career. You do better financially. The kids get older. You expands what you can do, and mm. yeah, okay. I mean, twenties good. But then, and then I wouldn't have anything to complain about to you every time I talk to you. Like last time, I was like, "Damn, my knee, Joe. Well, I, I can't, my foot." <laughs> I, I love the perspective, and plus, you know, complaining about being old ain't going to get you nowhere but older, right? So yeah, um, you're on that path. <laughs> it's hard to get off that one, folks. Um, but you know, people say all the time, and um, you know, uh, I hear folks say, you know, folks who are who was the latest guilt? The latest guy who was guilty of saying this, I think, was um, I've been listening to Brian Call a lot lately, um, the Gritty Bowman, and he said, you know, I'm approaching, you know, he's in, he's well into his 40s, and he feels better than he ever has, you know what I mean? And um, I want to know if that's true, you know, for some reason, it's not that I, it's not that I, um, it's not that I uh, don't want to get older and don't appreciate what wisdom brings, but. I also miss feeling invincible. <laughs> yeah, no, there's something about that, isn't there? I remember, listen, man, I remember going through train wrecks of college football games, you know, being an idiot that night and not going to sleep and then waking up and doing it again, you know? So, you know, there, there's, there's, I want to know if that's really true. Do I feel, cause I feel pretty good. You know, I, I still, there's still some things that I'm, I, I still can hit a 40, um, pretty fast. I'm still, I can still put a heavy barbell on my back, but I'll tell you what, there are some things I can't do. Uh, hangovers affect me longer. Uh, weights and the effects of like uh, strenuous contact linger longer. So there are some yeah. things that don't feel better. I I don't know if I want to be younger, but I, for, for a day or two, I want to know if I really feel better than I ever have. You know what I mean? I'm just curious about right. that. No, I, yeah, that's a, it's a good thought process. I, I, you know, I've told you in this podcast, I feel the best I've ever have and um, that I have in years. I mean, my body was broken down when I was younger. So I think it's just a mentality thing. You take care of yourself, you eat right, you do the right things. When you're younger, you could get away with eating whatever the hell you want, doing whatever you want and not have repercussions. But as we get older, then we understand, okay, well, I have to eat less food. That's one thing. And it's got to be quality food. That's another thing. And you have to exercise and, and keep flexible. And if I think if you do those and just have the right mental attitude, you're good. I mean, I'm somebody asked me to do something. I'm not scared to do it. I'm like, okay, let's just do it. Let's try. I know I might pay for it, but I don't want to get to that mind frame where I go, you know what? I'm too old. I, I'd, I don't want to do it. Yeah, and true. prime examples, we were at the skateboard park. Um, I don't know. It was like six, seven months ago. I was with my daughter, and I hadn't skated in a while. And uh, she's like, Dad, you should try it. So I asked this kid. I said, hey, can I borrow your skateboard? And I went over to drop in, and he looks over to my daughter, and he says, is he going to be all right? And I, I could kind of hear it in the back of my voice, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to be all right. I'm dropping into this thing, and I'm going to tear it up. <laughs> and I did. But you know what, if I let that go, oh gosh, maybe I am too old. Maybe I, then I put this fear factor inside my head, then it could have been drop in, slam my face straight to the flat and be done. But hmm, it's a confidence thing. Yeah, it's like we talked about the one quote that you're, um, was it we were out uh, on that late season deer hunt and uh, Jeremy, the other Jeremy uh, we were hunting with brought his cousin and he referenced that 
we were deciding what to do, and you referenced that quote about um, that Ranella quote about you're not going to regret climbing that mountain. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that brings that into it, and uh, you know, there there's a recent chat. You know, the the chat that I released uh, last week, and at the time of this recording that we'll release tomorrow. You know, when we were talking with uh, that author Phil White about Teddy Roosevelt, we kept we were on this idea of the strenuous life and how important that is. And you know, there's a there's an aspect of a speech he gave about a strenuous life that I think kind of goes on to that, where he says, uh, you know, above all, uh, let us shrink from no strife, moral or physical. You know what I mean? And I think that's super important. You have to. I've been trying to wrap my head around like guys and gals who my wife asked me this question you know midlife crisis is why do they happen and uh i ended up um talking to her about this client i train and every now and then he kind of unloads on me some some pretty some pretty dark stuff you know and i'm like wow and um and i and i brought that up because I think uh, this gentleman who I'm training is searching for meaning in training, right? And he's attaching a bunch of his identity through training. And I think some of that has to do with we just want challenges, man. And you have to, yeah. you have to, you have to do them. And I think even knowing that, I think it's super important just to keep some some portion of a strenuous existence within you in all things. Whether you're, you know, I think I challenge myself creativity, creativity through creativity with like this podcast. I think through the physical, I look at training and elk hunting. Um, and then sometimes, you know, the moral side of it, it's just asking and surrounding yourself with good friends and asking them tough questions. Sometimes I think we all need some of that. And I think if you can round out that equation, I think you, you have challenge and your life matters a bit. And, um, it's wild, man. It's wild to get old and, and, and be privileged enough to contemplate these things. <laughs> Absolutely. I 100% agree. And, you know, you bring up a great point about, you know, your friends and challenging. And you should surround your with people that challenge you. I mean, just in also the things that you do, your actions. If they, you know, hey, I see that you're doing this and I don't appreciate it or something. We need that feedback so that we know that we're doing we're staying on the right path. Sure. No, I love it. And, we, and and I think I think mentally that is a good thing too because in our heads we could think that we're doing everything just right and of course we tell our wives and we do it with confidence but then when we have our brother in arms and he says, "Hey bro, that's not okay" or yeah. or whatever. I think I think that's what society's missing now is just that that candor, right? Because if if you don't know you're doing something wrong, then you're just going to keep going down that path and then you're going to lose friends. Sure. And then you're going to be throwing your hands up going, why am I losing friends? And I think everybody, I think men have to stick with men and women have to stick with women. And the society's just like, want, they agree with you. Like, you know, they want to tell you what you want to hear. But I think in reality and how we're designed, that's, that doesn't bring happiness because it's all falsehood. Sure. No, maybe that's, you know, then that's why people look to these formats, right? They can hear these conversations and some way interact with them and get to know folks and then have their opinions challenged. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it, you know, it's just, it's just interesting, man. I'll tell you, we challenged you a little bit this weekend, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you did. But I think was cool, um, uh, you know, and, and to kind of speak on what we're talking to in, in kind of a lighthearted way rather than go down like a, uh, a crazy rabbit hole right off the top of this, you know, we got you, we got, we got you a fly rod in, in a way to get you into some strenuous activity that you haven't done in a while. And, and, and something different was, um, we got you, uh, you met Brett who we interviewed a couple weeks back, um, uh-huh. about sea run cutthroat, but we actually went out and chased uh coastal cutthroat, uh, native coastal cutthroat in, um, in, in the river systems here, man. And I thought that was pretty cool how, you know, you just jumped right into something you haven't done in 30 years. So, um, and it was, I have some interesting thoughts about the experience. Um, but, uh, how was that man getting in the back of getting back in the water and, and, uh, uh, flicking a fly rod for the first time in 30 years? Oh man, it was nice. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think what 20 minutes into it, I was like, Joe, I think I'm going to have to go buy me a couple <laughs> fly rods. Cool. But well, Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, what was it? I mean, I, you said, well, you have that, you have that interesting thought about 
getting gear back in it, I mean, uh, and, and getting right into it. What do you think it was for you that kind of woke up in you or was fun about it? Well, what I thought was fun is that it, it a like we we're talking about, it was extremely challenging, right? And, and inside my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to lose like 30 flies this today because I'm going to whip them off. Um, so it was the challenge of just getting out there and getting the flies and landing them where I want them to watch the stream, be out in God's country, the big, and it's big country where we were. I mean, we were out, out back there and it was in the heart of the Cascades, which base them outside. If people don't know, I mean, it, it, it gets really, really steep in those uh, mountain ranges and the water. And, uh, yeah, it was really (laughs) cold. Yeah, right, right, right out of the gate, we go in, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna dry. Um, what do we call it? Dry wet waiting. What do you call? It? You were wet, wet waiting, waiting, sir. I went wet waiting, and I didn't know if it was a good idea. Once that water hit my wavos, I was like, <laughs> oh no, this is not good at all. I have a long day, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, dude, it was just being out there, throwing that uh, fly around, and just you know having that challenge of putting it right where I want it to watch it float down that stream and just, I mean, just the peace and serenity that we were in and, and Brett did a phenomenal job. I mean, I've I've been on quite a few guide trips in my life and sometimes the dudes don't have patience like Brett does. And he's very like, okay, he critiques you in a good way to where it's not like overbearing. He comes in, Hey, try this, try that. Sure. And then 20, 30 minutes later, okay, and you, you're kind of getting that, now try this. And it was it was great because he wasn't hammering you with 400 things super right out of the gate. He just watched and slowly critiqued you until um, finally in the last half hour of the day, I finally started catching fish. <laughs> and he, had, he has a good way of, and, uh, you know, a good guide is fun. And, and a good guide, I think, is like a good coach, too. They're good instructors. You know, they help you along. They're encouraging, too. But along with giving tips and whatnot every now and then he had a real nice timely that was a good shot you know what i mean and yeah yeah okay (laughs) so um but yeah the the fly cast is interesting and going after those those uh you know those native coastal cutthroat i think is a is just it's a it's a neat fishery it's fun to do and it's a it's an interesting set of challenges um and again whether you're wet waiting or um dry waiting um you know, navigating those currents is fun and, and fishing them properly is fun too. I know uh, one thing picking up from Brett yesterday that I thought was cool as we kind of share tips. Uh, maybe you could uh, give us a, a, a casting tip that he gave you for some folks. But I think the, the general fishing tip when you're kind of uh, dry fly fishing, I thought that I picked up most from him was just how to approach water from, from fishing near to for, for, uh, farther away from you and just kind of the way to attack the different uh, sections of the stream systematically, you know, <clears throat> yeah. make a couple casts across, then move out a little further, move out a little further, three or four casts here, then take three steps upstream, then repeat. You know, I think there were some really cool systematic approaches, not, not so different from when like you're kind of gridding out a lost blood trail, I thought to yeah. uh, how you might cast at a stream. So you know, because I'm as guilty of getting in the water and just throwing lines out there for 20 minutes, not really thinking about it, and then moving spots, and then another 20 minutes moving spots. But the systematic approach that he was kind of putting us on, I thought was really helpful. Uh, yeah, and his, and his idea behind that was just you want to get it in front of that fish or a fish, and maybe there's not a fish in the first cast, two or three or four, but you're slowly trying to put it in front of a fish. Yeah. Which it's, is, yeah. And you put it in front in different ways, right? I mean, how many times mm-hmm. have, how many times do you just look at something differently or a different way or a different day, and it looks different, or you just get it, right? And right. I could even think of um, applying his tactic yesterday. We were sight casting to a couple uh, small ones that um, we could see them, and it was really cool to apply his approach where you could actually see how the fish react because um, a couple times the fly would be presented and they wouldn't look at it. And then one time where you just kind of take a step downstream or maybe they're looking differently, three or four fish would swat at it. And it's like, what the hell? You know, same yeah. fly. You know, so who knows what it is, but just a different angle, different approach was, was cool to see, cool to witness. Um, it, it's a fun thing to uh, witness in like a clear running, beautiful stream. 
Yeah, and they were. I mean, you could see the bottom everywhere. It's pretty deceiving, isn't it? That water's so clear, and then you take that one step, and it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. I just went down a foot. <laughs> it's right. like, no, it, it, it looks like it's, you know, a foot deep all the way through. If um you, you mentioned uh you mentioned losing flies and, and getting casting technique, is there a was there like a on the fly in the moment um casting tip? Because I know that that's an interesting rhythm and especially we're I've you know I have a five weight and a seven weight um that have a little bit of girth behind the line and and the rods are a little bit more fast action than the light gear we were throwing yesterday. We were only pitching three weights out there and. The finesse of that is interesting. Is there something that he passed along to you on the stream that um, anyone who's interested in getting back into fly fishing or um, has fly fished or hasn't fly fished might 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 find useful in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. He uh, he talked about um, you know he's like okay you, you're athletic I can tell because when you come with your back cast and your forward cast you're go you're like following through all the way back and then you're following through all the way forward. He said, but what you got to keep in mind is when you're casting is like throwing a football so or golfing. You come back to a certain distance and all your power comes from that. He goes, you're coming way back too, too far back. And so then you're not going to be able to get that power that you need to get the lure there. So he, he talked about cocking the football like by your ear instead of pulling it a foot behind my ear. Mm. And that's what I was doing. I was using too much shoulder he says you want to use a little more elbow and then stop at that 10 and 20 abruptly. So what I was doing, I was kind of doing a follow-through thing where he said you got to stop abruptly, stop abruptly forward, backward, forward, backward at that 10 and 2. And that ended up changing my whole um, my whole casting sequence, and I started to be, being able to actually get the fly out there rather than it, you know, winding up in front of me yeah the the hard stops interesting right because i guess with fly fishing it's you know like with a football or something you put a lot of effort behind the ball and you follow through and it goes because the strength comes directly from your fingertips right but the interesting with fly fishing is your rod your hand is an extension of the rod tip and what i think yeah. what he's getting at is by 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 getting that hard stop at 10 and 2 um you're letting the you're letting the rod tip do the follow through and that's where you'll get um you get some more action you get a tighter loop and i was having issues with that a little bit too because um one interesting aspect of th something that i'm picking up as as my rhythm is coming along uh i forget that not only does the the fly cast exists in multiple planes and in the one too that that rod tip not only has to stay in a nice window it also can't drift up and down and similar enough having having a really good fly caster watch you is cool because he gives you that again the same thing give me that hard stop because i was having issues with that finesse rod i was babying that finesse rod and i forgot about the hard stop so although i was holding a nice loop and I was getting some decent distance, my fly wouldn't turn over at times for that same reason. I was, I was lacking that hard stop. Um, but it, it's, it's, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons I like it because there's technique in that. Right. And, Oh yeah. And, um, I like that part of it. And whether I, I and that's where I really find some similarities between fly casting and shooting your bow. It's a really simple thing. That's really complex. And to lose yourself in the technique of that, I'm finding that super meditative. And I think it's, again, in really stark contrast to what the normal go about is, where you have, I mean, how many days do you have 100 things to do? And you're just freaked out to get them all. You don't know how to get it done. Uh -huh. But it's cool to get out on the river or to go to a bow range and just focus on one task and the little things involved with that and pay attention to that little thing. Yeah, I agree. And it, it and it's kind of mesmerizing, right? It's kind of meditative, like you said. It's just you're out there, you're throwing. It's just once you get in the groove, too, and then once you get when it, once you grasp it, it's like, oh, it now I can put the fly right where I want it. Yeah, and I'll tell you one other tip that he was giving me that I thought was great was, hey, don't forget, point that rod tip where you want it to go, and you know, it, yeah, and follow it, your fly. That was another one that I never thought about. You just follow your fly with your rod tip. Yep. So, uh, fun stuff. I would really suggest getting out there and doing it. Even like the trout we were catching, you know, these, these coastal cutthroat, uh, aren't giants. You know, most of the fish I would say were, 
you know, anywhere from three to six inches. And, you know, I had a nice one that was above that, and I missed a nice one that I thought was the biggest. Um, it, it was probably the, around the size of what I'll catch in the ocean, uh, maybe above that 12-inch size. But I, I just think it's cool, too, to be able to match the gear to the fish in that regard, and you can still have a blast. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because what we were three weight, right? That's yeah. the, what the rods were. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I've never pitched a, a three weight like that before. Um, and it's a bit of a finesse rod, but once you get it and let the rod do the work rather than trying to muscle it, you can actually still get some decent distance on your cast, and you can place it. You can throw little flies, and um, even with those light rods on a pretty clear river. Um, with small flies and even pitching dry flies, it's still cool to just watch that fish come up and for, to have that little moment where you don't know if it's going to be a giant or not. Like, I mean, you're just going, <laughs> what was that? What I thought was interesting with it, the, the part that I had the hardest time grasping was getting my finger on the line. Oh, stripping it? On in. the pole. Yeah. And strip, yeah, the, the stripping with the left hand was good, but getting my finger on there to make sure that for a stop, right, if you catch the fish. Mm. And in my mind, I've always been a lure fisherman for, like, shoot, 40 years I've used yeah. lures, right? So I want to use the spinning. The reel. The reel to spin. So my first thought was, okay, I got to grab the reel, and that's my first <laughs> fish. I lost it because I was like, I, I got to get to the reel. But it was hard to, to you know use the right tension with that finger and then pull the line and pull the fish in with the line. That was, that was the unorthodox hard part for me to grasp. Another good thing about that too, that probably would have helped your casting in the beginning. What I ultimately do, and I'm doing a lot of roll casting or um, it's to keep tension on the rod. I'll kind of just, you know, my rod hand, I'll put the line between my two fingers. If you see, I'm holding up like a gun. You can imagine the rods here and there's my thumb on top and I'm always going to pinch the, the line between these two fingers and I'll strip from there. And then also when I'm casting, if I'll have my, um, I'll have a, my strip hand either hauling the line or if I'm just doing like a real tight roll cast, I'll keep that pinched and then release it to help let that rod tip and stuff. Interesting. Work. But um, there's all kinds of fun ways to mess with it. But that's the other thing too. Like when you have that sensitive line, that light line, um, you do get to play the fish from your hand. And I think that that's pretty cool yeah. to bring that in. Um, it's just a ton of fun. And uh, I, I, there's an interesting perspective I have on catching those fish, which, which I'm finding that I think is neat. And you, you tie, you know, this idea of native fish is cool. Like even those little fish, they're native, they fight different. They, yeah. they get on the rod and they don't want to, they, they know instantly something's wrong and they, they shake their head violently. They freak out. Even, even at three to six inches, they're going to fight to the death to not come in. Um, but inversely, when I was out at Orcas on a fishing trip, I was just noticing, you know, we were, we were, we were down rigging for salmon um, and we're fortunate enough to link into a decent king, but I almost felt like when I was pulling that king in, which ended up being a hatchery fish that we could we could catch, as soon as I got the fish to the surface, it kind of, I don't know if it was because it was tired or because whatever, it kind of gave up. And then just yeah, kinda, they roll over. Yeah, it kind of rolled over. And I've had, I've had interesting, you know, trout fishing experiences where you'll see something similar from like a hatchery fish. But I don't know, man. I just, I have, you know, if I were to, if I were to make a, I would rather go out there and and wade into, you know, the middle fork of that river again and catch those native fish that'll fight to the death rather than rather than go land twenty three inch, you know, hatchery king salmon. I don't know. I just I felt like that fish I don't know, to me making a judgment on it. Um, I would rather do that. I just think that those native fish are cooler. I had fun with it, shorts sure, catch and release, but I don't know. I just felt like there's a difference there. I, feel, I, I just feel like I feel like I was doing it the way I'm supposed to be doing it, you know. And th that could be a weird thing. I might be I might be uh, reading too much into it. I don't know. I, I, am I going somewhere weird with that? I mean, am I making any sense? Yeah, no, you're making perfect sense. And I think it's like you're saying. It's just something about knowing about you're catching native fish that they don't want to be caught. Yeah, they don't want to come in. They they just 
they got fooled and then they do they fight to their death those little six inches it's pretty amazing <laughs> just... I mean, I, really it's like bam they hammer it and then they're they're they go i mean it took oh gosh it almost took the guide a minute just to get the fish in his hand because it was like no yeah even i don't to... <laughs> want to get i don't want your hand that's right i just want to get back to over there yeah, that's right so yeah no i i and, and and that's why i love river fishing for trout because they just hammer it and even steelhead are a lot of fun because um in the winter steelhead because they're just fighters and they fly out of the water and they take you upstream and downstream and and that's a lot of fun but the salmon i mean i i've only caught one salmon that actually put up a hell of a fight and i was telling you guys about it and it was 44 pounds and it took me a long time to get him in and he he was a fighter sure but other than that and the guide was like when i caught that one he's like man i don't think i've it's ever taken that long to pull up a fish in my boat mm. Well, and, and we were, and I, again, I was salmon fishing, um, with the family when we were out at Orcas Island and, uh, I talked about it last year around this time, but we've fallen into this habit out here. We'll take these orcas viewing trips on a, a fishing charter and then on the way in, we're kind of trolling and downrigging for salmon. It's been two years in, the kids love it. I get to catch a fish, you know, it's fun. Um, everyone wants to catch the fish until we hook up. And then they're all, no one wants to touch the rod, which is funny. Um, kids are, they're afraid. I don't know what's going on there, but I'm trying for you, kids. I can, you know, you can lead a horse to water. We're, we're trying there for him. But, um, you know, he was saying, too, you know, that that's a rare fish, that, that big Chinook anymore. You know, most of the fish that they're hauling in around there are in that 23, um, that 23 inch to um, 30 inch size fish. And I know. You know, like the 23-inch uh, salmon that I caught was just in that legal slot limit, just above 22 inches. It was, I think, 9 pounds, you know. Um, so that 44-pound that salmon is a rarity now. You know what I mean? There it is. That's <laughs> amazing fish, by the way. Great picture. <laughs> is that a big um, fish? It's pretty cool, huh? You know, like, that too, like, um, you know, I'm thinking about, habitat of these fish and what we're putting them through with hatchery stuff and uh you know they 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 seem smaller it just seems interesting it seems interesting times for fishing here on the sound um and uh we were talking a little bit about that yesterday so you know it was also interesting to talk with brett about some of that stuff and some of the things that are going on and but it also got me wondering too as i wonder if i wonder if our our streams were taken more care of and if things were going well or you know, if things weren't so dammed up as much as they are, if those smaller three-inch fish that we were catching today might be bigger, if things were a little better off for them in those rivers, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, talking to Brett, you know, he said, too, that those fish don't get that big because there's just not the the feed like in um, your higher desert or the east side of the mountains where they get a lot of heat, a lot of flies, lots, lot, a lot more bugs. Um, the algae gets a little thicker. And over here, they don't really get that, so they're not able to grow into large sizes. But, but you know that the tribes over here are doing a pretty amazing thing. I mean, they, they went to the state and said, hey, we need to get all these culverts out of all these main throughways of these rivers to help protect the salmon because apparently if the you know in talking to bread if the if the water dries up or a little bit around those culverts and then the fish are stuck upstream then they can't get downstream because the culvert has stopped them or blocked them from doing their thing which is heading back out to the ocean so mm. yeah that's and the, the, the dam life is interesting right i mean that's a big deal yeah it brings us electricity and that and um, but I, uh, you also wonder too, a little bit when you see what's going on with some fisheries around here, what, what the other effect is. And, you know, I'm not a biologist. I don't know, um, what's better. And from a sportsman, I'd like bigger fish, but I don't know if that's it the right way. Or when, when we fix those culverts, what's, what's the, what's the, you know, there's, it's so easy to say it's better for the fish, but what happens, um, when you have, to, I mean, what goes into adjusting those culverts? So did you, I know you said you had that conversation with somebody um on a plane ride yeah i had a conversation with the um 
the the fish biologist for the tribe, the head fish biologist. I happened to sit on a, next to him on a plane on a five hour dr- flight, and we got pretty in depth on it. And you know, basically says you pull the culverts out, and then um, so a culvert is just this big sonar tube. It could be two foot diameter. It could be fourteen feet diameter. It's surrounded by dirt, and then you have a road on top of it. So what they've done is they've went to the state and said, hey, we need to yank those culverts out, and then you just do like a typical bridge system and let the the stream run naturally from where it starts and then where it tributes into the um, the sound, in this case, on a lot of them, or to the ocean. And the theory is, is that we'll get more fish because they won't get trapped upstream. or And even with Brett, and this is something I didn't know, but those those... Is it smolt, right? Yep. The young, yeah, the smolt actually head upstream before they go out into the ocean, and if they're not able to head upstream, they're less likely to live. Mm. Yeah. So they, they have interesting and, lives, those fish, right? I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. just one trip in and out of the ocean, right? And and even just to make that journey, you know, I I know people who've never left the hometown they grew up in, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, you think about those fish and what you're what we're you know, asking them to do and, and kind of screwing things up a little bit. No, it's, it's, you know, I don't know what's right or wrong or good or bad, but um, I'd like to catch well, bigger I, native fish. And you, and you talk about the bigger native fish, and I think, I think the thing we're battling right now is these seals and sea lions that are coming up, and they're just decimating the and harassing the fish. Just like, and this is my theory. And just like the wolves are harassing the elk, the cattle, the deer, and everything else, and the the animal by nature loses more weight because it's under stress. It's always being ran because it's being chased. I mean, it's going to have a lot more endurance. The meat is probably better tasting because it's healthy, right, because they're chasing them. But with our salmon and steelhead, the weight and size are going would sit down significantly, but everywhere you look in the sound, you see – the seals, then they're following the sea lions. They're following the, those migrations of those um, of those fish, and you can see them. I mean, you'll see them out there rolling around and just eating oh, the bright. bellies out. That's they're, what they do. They don't eat the whole thing. They're abundant. I mean, even out in Orcas, we, we we saw tons of harbor seals. The last time I went out to um, my little my little uh, local sea run cutthroat spot, um, I got. I, um, there were two harbor seals on this, um, log I usually fish and they were just eyeballing me walking up. And then when I got a little close to go snap a picture, they got on the water and they watched me for about 40 minutes. It was pretty interesting. I think I talked about it on another show, but no, they're super abundant. I think it, you know, animals like people, like I talked a moment ago, we felt a bunch, we feel stress every day, stress from your phone, stress from the wife, stress from the kids, stress from training, stress from forgetting what you're supposed to do and doing all these different things is kind of chronic stress. Um, but stre- it's, it's still stress, you know, those fish, the more yeah. they're stressed they're it's going to affect their health. I mean, the same way that we lose weight when we're sick or when we forget to eat, um, you know, those fish are going to lose weight when, when they're pressured, right. If they're spending time running from spot to spot from, from seals, you know, they're not going to be able to just, you watch those fish yesterday in that river, right? I mean, they were moving quite a bit, and yeah, interestingly enough, too, there's a there's a cool Instagram feed you guys can follow. I think it's um, I'll get the exact name of it. It's like a Sea Run Coastal Cutthroat, but it's cool. They they're doing some studies on these fish, and they're finding where I thought they were more migratory, and they're going from beach to beach, moving quite a bit. Uh, the they in this latest study were tagging fish in multiple times using multiple tags over different months, and um, there's a picture of this cool sea run cutthroat that was caught five separate times and tagged five separate times on the same beach. So, wow. yeah. So when they're not harassed and they can kind of hang out, you know, they can sit there and feed and chill in the same way, in the same way a deer or an elk probably won't leave a feeding ground. Or a bedding area until it gets bumped out. You know, if if it if it can just kind of sit and chill out, it will. Right. Exactly. Which I which which is which is pretty cool. So, but it, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, just the the cycle of life and how predators will change the outcome of 
everything. I mean, you look at what's going on in the world today and the utter chaos and how everything's changing now. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. If you start poking something long enough, everybody starts freaking out and not being able to contain themselves. And yeah, maybe that's I mean, a human element of it, right? Because we're not. Yeah. We're, we're it'd be ignorant to think that we're not part of it, right? Like how much, right? You know, how much do I affect that fishery by you know, you know, even catching, releasing it, right? You know, there's there's some stuff that when you handle the fish, it hurts them, and you know, I don't know what they are, but you know it's it's not going to not affect it i was talking to my kids imagine if imagine if we were all out to dinner and mason took a bite of a cheeseburger and got yanked by his face out the room you know <laughs> you know what, what what would we all do you know what i mean how would you feel would you stay there you know like it's weird right so so you know even catch and release fishermen or you know i take fish when i can too but you know we impact it as well um, and I wonder if sometimes with this idea of, you know, what we're trying to do to save the fish, even in terms of like hatchery stuff, I wonder if like in this, I wish we would just say what it is. Like if we're developing these hatcheries just to, uh, just to, just to keep sportsmen happy, you know, cause I think that they, I don't know how well some of that stuff is doing, um, to save the fisheries, you know what I mean? So, um. I don't know. It's interesting. Fishing's interesting. It's it's cool to do it with someone who knows what they're doing. It's fun to talk about it, and you know, it it, it provides another layer of insight into you know enjoying the things that we think are important on this podcast. Right, I agree. Yeah, and, and I think you know you brought something up that was pretty interesting too yesterday was the fact that having the um, the hatchery fish breeding with the native fish and then that genetics right is it making the fish stronger or weaker or oh yeah i mean you can kind of elaborate what you're talking about i mean it makes complete sense to me yeah i think what ends up happening is um you know the the idea of the hatchery fish is you grow it you let it out and then it'll come back to the hatchery and then you know you you milk it and then grind it up into fertilizer those hatchery fish aren't supposed to aren't supposed to um spawn with the wild fish and what what one of the other downsides to you know the hatchery stuff's interesting um to say that i'm an expert on it would be a complete lie (laughs) i'm not (laughs) but there are genetic effects to to that hatchery stock mixing with wild stock and um you know it's just kind of for you know for me being ignorant of the science wholeheartedly you know, it kind of just dumbs down the genetics. You know what I mean? Um, we can all imagine a scenario where wild fish are just better at surviving. You know, they're not fed. They have to grow up. They are tougher. Um, and because they grow up tougher, they their survivability is greater once they reach a certain size. Um, um, and I guess another, a better analogy might be like, um, might be like elk, right? Like, you know, one of the reasons elk breed the way they do is because there's a timing to it where if all the calves drop at the same time, it's going to affect the population in whole because they'll educate them together. Predators can't get them all and, and it'll increase the survivability of the herd because you drop all the calves at once. Well, it's the same thing with these wild fish and the wild small. And, um, you know, you want a lot of them and you want them to grow up in their, in their environment so they can be stronger. Well, if the hatchery stuff, they, they just don't have all that. They're they're pellet fed. They're not getting chased around. And then when they get out, the ones that do survive, they just don't have the. They're not passing along the same set of tools, um, genetically. And that's that's just one other thing that's kind of hurting, hurting. In in fact, it's it's snuck so much into the wild, uh, and especially in terms of salmon. It's snuck so much into. Um, it sucks. It's snuck so much into the um, salmon genetics that some folks aren't saying wild salmon anymore. They have to say wild caught salmon because the the genetics have been mixed so much. So yeah, and it would be like inbreeding pen raised elk with wild elk, right? Sure. Letting letting open the gate and let them go and breed with the um, the wild ones. 
Yeah, and you see this all over. I guess it's even the same deal with goats and stuff. I mean, when you have mountain sheep interacting with domestic lambs, there's disease that spreads. Um, right. You know, when you have, you know, when, when humans inbreed, it's not really good either, right? So when you have a oh. lack of genetic diversity, it's just not good for the species. And so it's just another interesting issue with it, right? So, um, but no, it, it's it's cool to talk about it it's cool to be aware of it it's cool to interact with it and it's cool to maybe just talk out loud and develop an opinion on it you know to hopefully move it forward and um, get people to think about making you know good decisions for it so we can continue it because i think what's really scary even in terms of salmon if you follow it that fishery's not doing really well um and i almost take my kids out on that salmon boat because i don't know if that's going to be the case in many more years and that's dramatic yeah. to say, but when you talk about opening certain mines in certain places and when you talk about the effects of the hatchery fish, I mean, you know, the salmon aren't doing great. You know what I mean? So I want to get it in while we can. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, my cousin's a commercial fisherman and he says that this is just classic because every five, 10 years, you know, it rises and falls and he has good years and he'll have good years for four or five years and then he'll have bad years for four or five years. And it's just, just how the system is, right? It's just up and down, just like anything, just like our weather. Yeah. Just like our weight, just like our. Well, I'm glad you brought it up too, because you know, it's not completely bad. Cause I guess, wasn't it a few couple, wasn't it last year or two years ago where for the sockeye run was maybe as good as it ever was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's I guess, and they predicted it was going to be the worst year ever. So I, th I think it's also term. It's also important to be specific. I mean, I guess when I'm talking about salmon, I'm maybe referencing um, the Chinook runs that just aren't doing really well out here. Um, so, but it, it, you know, it is what it is. It, it it's something that you know I would suggest if um, you're irritated by hearing two guys who are recreationally involved with it and like talking about it, maybe you should do some of your own digging and, and, and form your own opinion and, and then come back and let us know what we got right or wrong on it. You know, for me, um, for me, I'll go back to, I'm interested in it because there's just something about getting a, a tight line and feeling that shake on the other end. You know what I mean? And, oh you know, yeah. It's, it's fun. It's cool. And, and as much as my kids want to say, I murder fish in front of them they still get excited when we're pulling them in too. Like there's something yeah. I have to look at you sideways. If, if that doesn't give, give you a giggle, you know, <laughs> so and, uh, there, there, there's another aspect about this that I thought was important to bring up is I went on, um, I went on a really cool fishing trip, uh, the past Tuesday where we caught a salmon and then going on this trip with Brett in both instances, uh, going out with local, um, fishermen, I thought was super important to talk about their different experiences. Um, you know, the, the one charter service out at Orcas where we got on the boat, he was saying generally this time of year during their high season, those summer months, you know, they'll have anywhere from, they'll have about 40 boat captains and these 40 boat captains run, you know, big 50, 50 seater whale watching tours to, even smaller private charters than I went on where, you know, maybe it's just two guys in a boat, you know what I mean? Um, and, and they're not doing great. They'll, they're usually this time of year have like 40 captains and right now they're down to three. And one of those captains was the owner. Um, and him having, yeah. him having a hard time with that. Um, but it also was interesting to see from Brett's experience, you know, I went out with him and my uncle recently, he was talking about some trips he's organizing um, and even the podcast that we did with him, he just talked about the importance of, you know, supporting your local fly shop, supporting your local fishermen. And, um, it was interesting to talk to two different guys who are trying to keep their business afloat, who have the recreational habits of people in mind. I just thought, you know, there, there was almost two different stories. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's. I mean, this COVID-19 thing is affecting everything. And I think with the one guy, I mean, he's, what'd you say? He has to have 30 people on a boat on those whale watching boats in order to break even. Yeah. So like he was, I was, I got to talking with them a little bit and he was like, man, if we don't get phase three by, he had an exact date. He was like, if they don't go phase three by july 18th i don't know if we can survive because and he was running some of the numbers i just wish they would 
I wish they would just give us the green light to put 30 people on a boat. He's like, and that's what we would do. Cause you know, it's hard for us to survive on just the small private f- boats. Uh, a lot of our business this time of year is filling those boats and we need, he, he ran the numbers for me and I don't want to speak out of turn, but there were levels of it where right now I think he said the, they're allowed to have 18 on a boat and they need to be at 30 to begin to pay for expenses of the boat. And I think that would include paying the captain and, and, and all that stuff. So 30 is their number and they're just not able to hit it right now on some of those bigger boats. But, but I also don't know. I don't know. He also said we're choosing to run the smaller tours, hoping that because part of their thing is return business, right? So they're yeah. running, they're running the smaller, they're running smaller tours, hoping that if we can just stay alive, those eighteen people will come back next year and bring other folks too. So they're all kind of caught, right, with what to do and how long can you stay afloat. So, um, you know, really interesting dilemmas, you know, and then to. Cause those guys are trying to pay people. Those guys are trying to give a lot of people a good time. You know what I mean? And, um, well, what they need to do is they need to get a bunch of signs made up, get 50 people on the boat and just call it a protest and then they'll be fine. <laughs> that's right. You know, <laughs> well, that's we're what... protesting, man. Well, and then, and then, and then you're legal. Yeah. And, and, and that's really interesting too, even to hear from the perspective of, you know, someone who's out on a place like Orca's Island, because, you know, it's an island, right? There's only so many people on that island, so they're kind of caught right. too. Do we do we open the island up and take care of summer business, or uh, do we not and just deal with here? But then we don't have business. And he was saying we might have to make that call where we're just gonna just gonna Shut roll it with down. it, or 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 do what we got to do, which might mean filling the boat. You know what I mean? Well, the good thing is, is I mean, with the stimulus package, they can the fact that they employ people and keep them employed. They're you know, they can get a loan, and then at the end of the day, if they keep those people employed and use that money towards that, and then uh, the loss of income, then they don't have to pay it back. But then there's just a rigorous amount of paperwork, from my understanding, that you have to go through to get that. Yeah, it's tough. So I think the best thing you can do, if you can do it, is to find one way to support your local fishery. And that might mean, you know, if you can, if you can, look, man, if you can afford to do a high dollar private charter do it if you can get uh, a day float with a guide like brett you know the going rate on some of that stuff is you know um it's around four or five hundred bucks you should do it and if you can't and you're into fishing go buy flies at you know local fly shop not you know what i mean I i think those small places really really need your they they need your help right now and if you're you know um if you're fortunate enough I would say we, I've been pretty fortunate through this whole deal. You know, um, the public school system kept paying me. The Army kept paying the wife. And um, um, as much as I can, you know, we're trying to go out where we can and support local places, whether that's Mince Mercantile here in DuPont or that's Puget Sound Fly Co. Um, right off 5 or Gig Fly Harbor or, excuse me, um, Gig Harbor Fly Shop in your neck of the woods where we've picked some stuff up or getting a charter out i think the best thing any of us can do is support local businesses right now still because they're still yeah absolutely struggling even as even as restrictions are lifted you know you get to talking to people there's still some real struggles out there even with the phases especially when you get more inner city where i mean like seattle's just shut down i mean there's nothing open yeah my joey went down there over the weekend and he said uh, last weekend and he was just like it's dead i mean there's nothing Mm. everything's boarded up he said it's like a ghost town yeah it's and that's not good for anybody you know what i mean seattle's a cool city and um it's such it's got such cool history you know i read books like boys in the boat and um i've fallen so much in love with this place with the mountains and the rivers and the ocean and having so much access to such cool stuff um i think that there's enough good folks around here to to rally up and, and do good by it, right? And I think we're also smart enough to make good decisions about what to do with this interesting epidemic, you know? Um, you know, and I wish it right. could be... I think you said something. I think I wish it could be so simple as if, if you feel sick, stay home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you feel strong, yeah. go if out. If you feel vulnerable, then <laughs> don't go out. It's, it's real simple. <laughs> so, I mean, I, w- I wish you could implement that strategy and I wish it could work out and... You know, I wish, I wish you could, 
I wish you could fix it for everybody, but you just can't, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. but, but like you said, you can support local shops. Yeah. Local people. And, um, you know, promote entrepreneurship and get people help them. And well, that's it too, right? Like you also need to be savvy about what to yeah. do. I was uh, one of the interesting things you talk about gig fly, uh, gig harbor fly shop. I was just cruising websites, and you know, I like to stop into a fly shop and pick up a you know couple new. Hey, what what's working right now? You know, it's fun to do. You know, and, and there's local intelligence that you get. Hey, what spot's good right now? I'm thinking about going here. You, you know, is anything else hitting? So it's fun to get in there the day before. But um, at cruising websites and trying to figure that out, you know, um, Gig Harbor Fly Shop was doing a cool thing where they're doing like a subscription-based deal where um, I think they're keeping revenue up by, and I don't know how long they've been doing this, but it made me think, oh, that's really smart. Rather than just offering product um, out of the fly shop where you have to go in, they have a cool service where you can pay a monthly fee and they send you flies. They'll send you a local fishing report. And the flies are tied locally. Uh, the fishing reports are about local fisheries. And it, it's it's a sustainable kind of monthly service, right? So even you can't just hope for the best. Sometimes you have to sometimes you have to um, you have to be savvy and think outside the box when things are tough or, or lean, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you just got to have the right attitude too, and just you know, not rely on somebody else to do your thinking. You're going to have to do your own thinking if you're going to think outside the box. And then you have to act on it. That's it. I mean, that's the key. So many people spend, you know, so much time thinking about stuff. And sometimes, and most of the time, you just need to do. That's it, brother. Do it. Right? There's a Play like Nike and just do it. There's a, Or that there's an old school fun Shia LaBeouf youtube video did you ever see this where he's just in front of a green screen he's the actor from like transformers and he's just in front of a green screen do it you know what i mean you just gotta <laughs> get out there and do it guys you know what i mean um but and then anything i mean we've talked about doing it in many ways whether it's uh what 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 doing what in many ways um my mind went somewhere else real quick even with conversation with myself <laughs> But uh, do it in many ways, you know, get out there and have fun, you know, get out there and do your research and, and know why it's important to you. And then, um, you know, do something important too, like support your, your local fly shop and, and hunting guides. I mean, you know, um, we are, it was teasing. I, we were teasing too. I pulled the trigger on a, on an expensive backpack. Um, I've been in this habit where I'll buy a backpack, um, when I buy something, I want it to be the last one. And I think I've bought my last backpack ever. But one of the reasons I also bought that backpack or I'm okay to spend up on something like that is because it is a made in America product. And that to me also seems like something that's becoming a point of pride again. You know what I mean? Yeah, to, absolutely. To, to source those local products. So, so get out there and do it folks. There's all kinds of places to do it. And, um, to keep on this, I also think that why that's important is hunters and fishermen and recreators of the outdoors have kind of been really leading from the front in terms of this pay your way into it. And what I mean by that is, you know, Dingle Johnson is, is an act where when you buy fishing gear, some of the taxes go towards fishing habitat. Um, Pitts, Pittman Robertson Act, you know, when you buy guns and ammo for hunting and fishing, guess what? Some of the taxes towards that go towards supporting the habitat. You know, duck stamps, 98% of the proceeds from duck stamps go towards waterfowl stuff, you know, hunting licenses and fishing licenses. So, you know, even at the lowest tier by, I like that model where you support what you're into, right? And I think that, again, that's a place where hunter, hunters and fishermen, you know, guys who tote guns and, and sling rods, um, you know they they do right yeah. they do they do right by themselves and and they support what's important to them and I think that's cool and okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing is, as we've talked about many a times, is just getting somebody new into hunting or fishing or something like that that's never done it, and yeah. get them out there and dink around. I mean, I've invited people um, just to come hang out. You don't even have to hunt; just come out and experience it. I've been, a, and you'll have a good time. I've been trying to get us a camp cook. My wife, she won't do it. She goes, "That ain't me." <laughs> oh, dang it, man! I'm trying, brother, 
but um but uh no it's it's cool you know it's a it's it's something to work on it's something to to keep active keep your mind right and um you know um to shoot it and figure it out so but um I, let, let's let's end this uh let's end this on a cool note um you decided I brought you a pair of extra waders I had that I couldn't find a damn hole in them. So I knew they might leak a little bit. But then when Brett said he was going to wet wade, you said, I'm going to do it too. Um, uh, how was wet wading, Jeremy, in those uh, those Ellsworth socks ears? It was actually pretty amazing. My feet never <laughs> – I mean, they were cold, but they weren't freezing cold. Yeah. I mean, the whole time that I fished, I mean, it was actually pretty amazing how well my feet stayed – warm because usually i'll wear cotton socks when i do that and then when i get out of there my feet are so stinking cold yeah. and by the time we got done at the end of the day i mean we were in the water for eight hours like it they oh, yeah you were I got for eight hours and they were, <laughs> for sure they were a little cold but they weren't like felt like they were gonna fall off so i was super duper impressed and it was just the midweight ones i didn't use the heavy um late season ones yep so there it is folks those fox do um, what they say they're going to do. And let me ask you this, Jeremy. You know Pete. You've talked to him a few more times than I have. You know, they have this interesting guarantee on their website where um, if you they, – they, I don't know if you know this, but go to the Our Guarantee spot. And yeah. they, they tell you that you can hike, run, walk, climb, ruck, or whatever else you want in those socks for two years, and then they'll exchange them if you're not happy. I wonder if that also wet waiting in tennis shoes <laughs> – <laughs> uh, I wonder if that would fall into the whatever else category. We might have to have Pete back on. That's a new one. We might, yeah, we would have to put him at. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete was up there. Um, gosh, it was a couple of weeks ago. And he made a post on this, the thing where he was fishing and he had walked upstream and then he was fishing for a little bit and he looked downstream and there was a huge black bear just playing around in the water. And he had never, ever seen a wild black bear. So he he was pretty pumped. That's he awesome. said it looked at him, its eyes or ears came up and pointed right at him, and that's when he started getting nervous. He's <laughs> like, oh, crap. But he said he's had 10 millimeter on his chest, so he wasn't too nervous. But <laughs> hey, that's pretty awesome, too. You're out there fly fishing, and you get to see the wild like that. No, that's why I like it. Like I said, I think that it just gives you a moment where, you know, I'll hike and blast through some woods, and then I'm in and out, right? And then you're huffing and puffing. But when you're standing still in the water, one, the water covers your sound a bit, right? And yeah. you're, you 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 become one with the place because you're dialed into what you're doing, and you kind of just fall into the rhythm of the situation. You're not you're not doing something against um, that, and so you can kind of fall into it, and, it, and you can get um, some cool experiences. There was a really cool video last year going around of some guys who were fly fishing, and a small elk herd came through their stream. And yeah, that's cool. A bull elk popped off and bugled right in this guy's face. <laughs> so you never know. Awesome. That that you that don't. to me is worth the price of admission, folks. Um, even if Absolutely. you even if you tie yourself sixteen sixteen uh, wind knots and lose twelve flies and don't catch nothing, uh, maybe if you get out there and just try, you know, a, a wolverine might cross your path and you can have a fun story to tell the next generation. So uh, get out there folks. And when you do it, uh, make sure you do it in a fine set of socks uh, <laughs> that are guaranteed no matter what you do to them um, to, to, to do what they say they're going to do. And, and they're a fun pair of socks. Um, I keep saying that uh, you don't know how awesome great socks are until you put a great pair on. And I think you should start that um, with Ellsworth socks guys, check them out and save 20% B and B 20 at checkout and um i think you'll be i think your feet will be better for it so get out yeah and you'll uh you'll be stoked you did it you'll buy <laughs> one you just i i just challenge you to buy one pair now and then try them out and then i guarantee you'll come back for two or three more pair there it is well i'm i'm i i have um i have five pairs now i have two light hiker pairs uh two boot pairs and one warm weather pair and I'll probably get another warm weather pair just so I have six. And then I'll have like one for every day of the week. And then I there you go. Then I'll get rid of all my other socks. So that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> so but uh whether it's yeah. uh whether it's socks or fishing or supporting your local fly shop guys, hopefully we've we've in this kind of ramble of a show today, we've kind of given you something to think on to uh help you train, hunt and live uh your best life. Uh but until the next one, Jeremy, where we talk a little bit about man, we're getting close to that elk season, brother. 
I'm fired up. I'm fired up. This I'm is getting program. pumped up. So we're going to kill something. We're going to talk about how to help you kill something and how we're going to kill things and make the harvest and make our wives uh, very impressed with us. <laughs> Build a freezer, baby. <laughs> That's it, buddy. Well, Jeremy, you're the man, dude. I appreciate you. That was a quick hour. Um, uh, have a good one, brother. You too, man. God bless America.